0: Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, and this is a comics podcast. This is a comics podcast for people who love superheroes and love fan comics and can look at the superhero stories we enjoy with a critical eye. Today I've got a really exciting guest joining me, someone I wanted on the show for a while, and she's here! Hooray! Stephanie Williams is a comic historian and pop culture critic for notable publications such as Sci-Fi Fangirls, Marvel, The A.V. Club, Nerdist, Den of Geek, and Rotten Tomatoes. She is currently a a content producer for What to Watch. Stephanie is also a comic creator with three ongoing webcomics, Parenthood ad- Activate, But What If, Though, and Living Heroes. She made her Marvel debut with a short story featuring Monica Rambeau in Marvel's Voices, colon, Legacy. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Great, great. I, I, um, I love that we were able to get you right at the juncture of when you have a new story coming out from Marvel's Voices, And everybody is just like, I feel like there's been a big spike in people paying attention to your wonderful fan comic, Living Heroes. And you've got more comic stuff coming up soon, too. So this is like, the moment is right.
1: Yeah, and the moment is definitely right. Um, Because it was like, back in February, it was like, well, if things keep going the way that they are, I am probably going to be without a voice by May. So (laughs) I am (laughs) working my way to that.
0: Well I know that we wanted to talk about WandaVision a little bit too which we'll hold for the end because I have that in my show flow but uh, I loved your writing on that and really appreciated it too but I want to start from the beginning which was how did you get into comics uh, both as a reader and fan and then like as someone who actually makes comics themselves? So as a
1: reader um, it's kind of a little sporadic so um, I got interested in comic characters through my older brother um, who played a lot of fighting games so Mortal Kombat and of course Street Fighter so there was Marvel versus Capcom and that's how I kind of got introduced to Spider-Man and the X-Men characters um, and whatnot and then from there uh, the animated series that would air on Fox on the uh, weekend Saturday morning Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there um, it's a mix of picking up comics not really knowing what they were uh, at the my grandmother loved going to thrift shops before it was you know the cool thing to do and I would always go back to where like the books and everything were um, and I would thumb through the comics Um, so I remember like taking a Superman home, one, a Superman uh, comic home and like just kind of thumbing through it. Um, It wasn't until I discovered the Archie comics, like the Digest specifically Mm -hmm. because they would be at the grocery store that I really started reading comics like as regularly as I would um, novels and stuff. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, Something about Archie I just really loved and then I remember seeing Batman with the long ears and just finding that, <laughs> like that whole that whole suit, um, at the time and the art um, aesthetically pleasing. And then that's kind of how I really got into uh, cape comics and backtracked and worked my way back to Avengers and X Men and all of that. Um, now, as a creator, uh, comics were something that I would make while um, when I was in school. Uh, actually, I remember. My f- I think it was first grade I won the um like local art show or whatever because I had made a small comic about a dinosaur eating my first grade teacher and I don't know why I even made that story because she was amazing she was actually <laughs> the sweetest teacher ever and I adored her but she thought the comic was so funny and um had submitted it and I ended up taking uh first place with that so from there like I just really kind of got into art um Like whenever there were like art classes available at my school through extracurricular activities or whatever, like I would ask my parents like, Hey, can you put me in this? So I used to actually, um, draw, um, I still do from time to time, but that was something that I was like really big into. And I was like, Oh wait, I guess I'll, you know, I'll draw books and, or I'll draw comics. And it wasn't until I got really comfortable with writing and um, you know found out that I actually had a knack for it that I started considering well maybe I can write you know write comics or write novels um so fast forward you know you grow up you go to college and you like waste thousands of dollars on a degree that you uh barely use <laughs> so I did that um thought I wanted to become a doctor but I fell in love with research and from there once I graduated I um got a job in an microscopy lab, which I didn't even know what that was until after I graduated, um, and I became an electromicroscopist, and I know that sounds fancy, but... I don't know what uh, that is either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so um, my day-to-day was working with um, pathologists who are doctors who, um, you know, figure out what the disease process is um, that's going on, if you have something like lupus or diabetes, um, hypertension cancer all of that so as an electron microscopist i would process these biopsies and um it was like a whole step of like embedding tissue and resin or you might know as like plastic and using uh this very like high-tech machine uh, ultra microtome it looks simple but it's really precise like you're cutting. Um, like pieces of a biopsy off um, that is as thin as I don't think like 10 microns or something like that it's like very very thin let's see through basically almost basically transparent Um, so those go on very very small copper um I guess like copper plates and it's put into this giant microscope that looks like something out of a Marvel comic or DC comic, something Reed Richards would definitely have. Um, and from there you can see the ultra structures of the uh, tissue. So I, I love that job. Um, they got very good at it. Um, like to the point where there were a few times where, you know, the doctor th- thought that the diagnosis was, you know, one thing. And then because I was like very thorough at my job, I would find something else. And then I would just change the entire diagnosis and the treatment and everything. And it felt really great to do that. Like, you know, that's helping, you know, help save lives, better someone's life or um, extend their life expectancy. So I enjoyed that. But I did not enjoy was the environment. It was rather toxic. <laughs> so, um, That, after a while, began to wear on me, and after I had my son, I um, was dealing with a lot of postpartum depression on top of just flat-out depression from my job, and I don't know, like, during that time, uh, I leaned back into the things that used to bring me, you know, immense comfort, and that was reading uh, comics, and um, through that, I was like, you know, why did I, you know, let go of the dream of writing? um you know writing stories and sharing my stories or putting them um in comics so I ended up getting back on Twitter and I don't know, like I'd heard from folks like that's a great space that or Tumblr to kind of find folks who are of the same mind or like you know just a community of people who are trying to do the same thing that you are and um I don't know like I just got online and just Started talking about the stuff that I like, which was mostly comics or, um, you know, whatever TV shows or movies I was watching. And that turned into podcasting, which uh, led me to uh, my own podcast, which was The Lemonade Show. I talked about comics that I was reading, shows I was watching, movies, such like that. Um, that led to Misty Night's Uninformed Afro, which uh, we covered um, all black superheroines, whether they were DC image marvel indie didn't matter um we covered and highlighted them because uh, i felt that that, that was, was a really was fun
0: podcast
1: yes. i remember that one i miss it so much <laughs> um and when we got invited to the um kennedy center for the 2018 arts summit i think that was the moment i was still at this job that i was beginning to despise or at that point was despising um And it was in that moment I was like, you know, there's something here. Um, If (laughs) I can get invited to DC to talk at something like the Art Summit at the Kennedy Center, then I can definitely figure this out. Like I can figure out how to, um, you know, find a way to make a living off of this so that I can leave (laughs) this job that I hate so much so um when the Misty Nights Uninformed Afro podcast ended abruptly I was kind of stuck because I was like wow um this was really going great so what do I do now and it dawned on me hey you've been doing research for this podcast um you know filling out show notes all of that um not saying that it's the same thing as writing you know features or anything like that but hey you can figure it out um, and I did. So I um, pitched two stories to Fangirls, because uh, one had been on my mind since I had seen Black Panther, maybe e- even before then. And that was to cover the evolution of the Dora Milaje, and mm. I did that. It got a lot of um, a lot of eyes on it, and a lot of folks saying, "Well, th- you know, this was great." And from there, it was just it, the rest is history. Um, for a while until you know one day I got you know way more comfortable in my writing abilities and just my voice in general and I was like you know what I'm gonna make comics I don't know how but I'm gonna figure it out and I thought about how I often share you know parenting ups and downs on Twitter and how those often go viral and I thought well these are clearly stories that people want to hear or find interesting and funny so like Put it in comic form, I'm already using images um and memes to help tell a story whenever I share one on Twitter. So what is the difference between that and a comic and In fact, comic would be even easier because I don't have to try to contain a story to just what's in the picture. I can actually hey write down like what I would like to see there and how I envision it uh to match my um to match my words and to to tell the story to the best of my ability, um, and Parenthood Activate became a thing, and from there, uh, but what if though? And then after that, Living Heroes, an entire Kickstarter, which I still can't believe was funded in twenty four hours. Um, and then from there, was amazing. I, I it's because it's so niche. I felt like it was really niche. Mm. I just didn't, I didn't expect that. And then after spending almost an entire year worried about Marvel uh, emailing me from their um, legal team for Cease and Desist um, to get an email from them asking me, hey, would you like to write a story in an upcoming comic? Um, I'm still, that's still surreal to me. Because not that it was never the goal, but when I created Living Heroes, it was never with the intent of, ooh, this might catch Marvel's eye. I just really wanted to, um, you know pay love to characters that i've loved and related to for a long time and put them in a setting in a way that you know i felt that i've always wanted to see um as a as a black woman as a black queer woman so i did that and um they noticed <laughs> and again like i'm i don't know it's like it's just still so surreal that in parenthood activate which just really took me back
0: wow i you know i the thing is, like to me, there's such an obvious audience for something like Living Heroes because, like, people love reading stories about the superhero characters that they identify with or grew up with or any of the above. Uh, interacting with each other as friends and dealing with their interpersonal situations and that is like a, that's a sitcom um, sort of setting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like there's so many fan works that are at that uh those themes that to me i'm like oh my god of course this is a huge hit but like i so many of the things like they haven't been as good as this (laughs) the the end the end the end result of this is extremely high quality and funny and beautiful um so uh you know like really knocking it out of the ballpark not just the concept but the execution you know
1: the execution because um I often think back about it and just the synergy I had just so I was at a baby shower um, <laughs> and I was like scrolling Twitter I think we were like in between games or something and I saw that O'Neill had on her Twitter commissions open and I remember that she had did some artwork for a friend's patreon and I really loved it so because of Parenthood Activate and like just kind of getting the confidence from that you know i slid into her dms and i was like hey you know i have an idea for like you know this webcomic that is going to play with other with other ips but um put those ips in different settings that you know kind of like sketch comedy and she loved it and kind of told her the idea for the first one which was um batman Uh, One of the running jokes on Twitter, along with him beating up petty felons, is, um, you (laughs) know, he's the master of being prepared. You know, he has contingency plans for everything. So just kind of playing with that, the fact that, you know, he's in the Justice League and so is Vixen, and just kind of just thinking about the dynamics in the workplace for Black women, thought like yeah it would be funny if um you know every time Vixen came in with a new hairstyle that Bruce thought that it was part of her power set for whatever reason um so that was kind of the the punchline of it and after I saw the way that Aaron had just executed the script I was like okay this works and the fact that her art compliments um, my sense of humor so well and also just like her sense of humor in general compliments mine um I'm not surprised that living heroes turned out the way that it did but I just know that it wouldn't have been possible without her or um our colorist Christina um those colors just pop off the page
0: yeah they're gorgeous and it's really like detailed and it matches the art style also
1: yeah, so um, I don't like every time I just think about it. Um, just the whole process and the fact that it came from a one off like I was watching Living Single. Um, and I think like reading uh, a comic at the same time, because I often do that. I don't know why. But like, i <laughs> like, one of my favorite pastimes is to have something on in the background that know I've probably watched a lot but to read comics as I do it and that's where a lot of my ideas come from because the mashup is happening organically like as I'm reading something and watching something at the same time and um, I think I was read I was doing some research or something like that on the Dark Phoenix saga Um, and I remember like yeah Misty Knight and uh, Jean were roommates so they lived in New York it's already expensive Pretty sure it was expensive then So like what So what would happen um, You know if Jean just so happened to die again And Misty was like Left without a roommate She whatever for whatever reason Couldn't find another one Like okay so like what if she moves in with um, You know Monica Rambeau And Storm Monica's up there living for whatever reason Maybe closer to you know Adam And Storm is from Um Harlem so yeah she would be in New York somewhere so um living single takes place there and I was like yeah this this works like let me see how this would go and I was thinking of a fourth and She-Hulk was just obvious not because well yeah because she's a lawyer and I was like it's I'm Mm -hmm. like it's the lowest hanging fruit but also um I know it's questionable but I am a fan of um John Burns uh, Sensational She-Hulk I just like the I don't know Like for that character I just feel like That goofiness Just really pair as well And That's another reason why I was like Yeah She-Hulk would be perfect For this So Did the first one It was received well Did a second one Because I just Really wanted to make The meme Of um, Sue <laughs> Sue Richards Looking like the Young woman from Divorce court Or couples court uh, when she got caught cheating, because her lover um, just pretty much, you know, told spilled all the beans while he was on the stand. Um, because one of my favorite things is the fact that you you really can't get a read sometime on Reed and Sue's relationship, and the fact that Neymar is sometimes involved. And I'm just like, yeah, that's perfect. And I can tie this right back into Living Heroes because Misty Knight would be watching that because she loves her daytime TV, and. um you know she hoped would be on that show because you know extra money in her pocket and let's introduce hmm. Sam Wilson who I always felt would be great if he gave Himbo en- energy so uh because he reminded me of Overton and i was just like yeah let's let's oh, do it
0: yeah <laughs> the, the, the the equivalents and the parallels and like I you know I'm someone who's watched Living Single ob- obviously I shouldn't say obviously but like obviously I'm, a, I'm I'm of a certain age where it's like a pretty safe assumption to have made, but um, I don't know the show like inside out so I'm sure that like there's some particular parallels that I didn't quite grab but um yeah. but like it, it exists in that sort of world and tone so well
1: yeah um and I think this just goes into um, Living Heroes is really just how i process and interpret comics comments, comments just put on display like how i relate to them how you know is how i synthesize it into all of the other pop culture that i consume and how you know there are all these connections to things that we enjoy um no, no, no like that's it's one of my favorite things to do to just kind of find that through line to stuff that doesn't seem like it's related but if you look hard enough you can make anything related
0: that is like sort of the beauty of like the way fans relate to superhero and and not superhero but to like to existing texts and shared universes yeah we're always putting the pieces together
1: exactly and i'm like that's one of the best things about fan fiction
0: Mm Mm-hmm. and and but you're you're also sort of creating a release valve for the fact that um so many of the stories uh, just don't have spaces where you have black superhero characters, especially not black women, interacting with each other, Um, you know, because of the sort of, like, we have to have one of each approach to diversity rather than, like, looking at it as part of, like, a holistic, you know, aspect of storytelling about the world. You end up with teams where you're like, and here's the black member, and here's the Latinx member, and everybody else is white. And so you get sort of cheated out of having these stories where you have a range of Black women hanging out together, and, um, you're, like, all about flipping the balance back on that, basically.
1: Yeah, because, um, I mean, even as a young reader, and definitely up until adulthood, like, it just always was weird to me that, um, I don't know like especially the black women weren't hanging out because uh, to me like you're in this predominantly white space and just coming from stem um like that whole entire <laughs> that whole entire career field would mirror um you know kind of how the superhero universe is set up in dc and marvel but you know mm-hmm. whenever there was a black woman or sometimes even a black guy that would come like be a new um like research tech or postdoc or something in another lab whenever we saw each other um or discovered each other I should say in the break room was like a, oh hey you're you're here so you know have lunch together and just kind of talk about our day and relate and stuff like that so I'm like that would be no different so it was always weird to me that you know Monica and Misty wouldn't talk or if they crossed paths, while um, you know, she's on the Avengers and, you know, Misty is with the Defenders or like Storm. Um, and, uh, who was it that was the Stevie? Like they had mm-hmm. interactions in, you know, X-Men, but it wasn't like, it was like, you know, come is you know, a little jealousy on Storm's part, uh, early on, uh, because of Stevie's grown relationship with Kitty, but, you know, they didn't really hang out like that. And so I always just kind of found that a little weird because um, I just culturally, I just know we like to, you know, come together and, um, you know, just kind of be in each other's spaces, especially if we are the only few in such a predominantly white space. So it just made sense to me. Like, yeah, they they would definitely hang out. They would be friends or, you know. Nice, nasty to each other sometimes, but like either way, like they would at least, you know, have some type of relationship.
0: Gotcha, yeah. I mean, I think so much of the the fan response too is just like a, re- it's like a relief of like finally mm-hmm. we get to to have greater depth in in those relationships, and also just hearing them written and you know by a, 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 a black woman. And um, I, I is is the I'm sorry. What's the name of the artist on Living Heroes?
1: Um Neil Jones. Uh,
0: yes, sorry. Is she is she black as well? Mhm. Yeah. So yeah, like just bringing that to to the work. Like you, you know, uh, there's so many misfires that we encounter <laughs> as fans. Um, and so many unforced errors. Yeah. So
1: cuz uh you know
0: for a lot of things
1: that happen in Living Heroes, um some of the stuff like You know, O'Neal just added without me even having to say it outright, um, which I thought was nice. I would have known like with another artist, I possibly would have had to like explain or like provide very detailed references, which wouldn't have been a problem. It's just the thing of sometimes if you have to explain something to that degree, then when it is interpreted, something's going to be missed. Because it's just mm-hmm. not innately there, um, and but for her, like it's it's there. Um, the most recent, um, but what if though um, entry that we did together was with um, Selena Kyle and um, Vixen shopping for wigs while Vixen is on her lunch break from the Justice League, and you know the whole punchline of the jo- of the entire thing is that. Um, they're trying on wigs, and something happens, and Vixen goes to go fight. Selena tells her to go ahead because why would Selena Kyle get involved in matters, <laughs> superhero matters, when she doesn't have to? And um, because Vixen still had the wig on, when she comes back in, the wig's still there. Um, it hasn't budged, it still looks flawless. So, you know, mm-hmm. Selena's like, okay, she'll take one and I'll take one. And then Selena actually offers to pay. And like, when do you know Pat- Catwoman to pay for anything? And, <laughs> <laughs> and Vixen's kind of like, oh, you pay for stuff? And Selena's like, yeah, I do. for When we're at black businesses, like we're at a black establishment. <laughs> so that was something that I felt like, you know, one would just be a cultural thing that folks would hopefully relate to. And I just thought it was a fun moment. Because again, like, these are just little things that, you know, as a reader, um, I'm thinking of, like, what these characters are doing, you know, uh, in between the panels. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also just love, like, retroactively you know some writers have addressed the selena kyle is uh i believe it's like also mixed cuban descent as mm-hmm. well yeah as italian uh-huh. and then it gets forgotten you know by people who just assume everybody is white all the time and you know seeing your selena like obviously being latina is like remember how this is a thing you guys
1: yeah because you, you're right and that's another thing um, a lot of these characters have been along for decades and that means there have been several different writers who have written them um, and because comics are so extensive and there's so many of them you know a lot of those little tidbits um, or even or large ones get lost in the shuffle because if one person fails to acknowledge it and they do an entire you know, series then that's the first thing that someone else encounters then you know that is the and that's the that's the canon even when they learn that that actually wasn't the case early on sometimes that first canon you encounter is the one that sticks with you the most so um I don't like that I don't I think that's why for me like when I am reading comics I tend to really enjoy reading the older ones like the silver age and um, bronze age silver age mm-hmm. I know like it's questionable like why on earth would you want to read that well I mean are there some stories that are cringy absolutely but I don't know like the storytelling um also like the fact that the characters are the the cape heroes are not in their suits the entire time that from like the silver bronze and the modern age from like the 90s and the early 2000s like I just really enjoy because like they are direct reflections of those of the time that they were written in like the 90s Mm -hmm. um like I just really got into this this thing I've been trying to find as many comics as I can that were written around the time as we were getting to the height of the crack epidemic. And I bring that up is because I just found it very interesting that for a lot of Black characters um, that existed in that time period, they're all dealing with going into um, impoverished areas and like trying to clean up the the crack epidemic or um, you know, locking up uh, drug dealers and stuff like that, and it's just always interesting to me that that is the only other time you really see these heroes save other folk or quote unquote save other folks that look like them. My dad had asked me um, a couple of weeks ago. He was like, "You know, something I was thinking about it, and you know, when I was growing up, I never saw Superman save anybody that looked like me." Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of hit me because recently there was a it was a Batwoman episode that made a point to talk about how important it was for, um, you know, Black children, children of color to be saved or see themselves saved by heroes that look like them. Um, Danny Lohr talks a lot about this. Um, their Blade story in Marvel Voices' legacy is really yeah. centered on that. So... um I don't know like it's just I was thinking about that and then um, you know the fact that there was just like the surgence of comics that feature black characters finally going to um, areas with predominantly black populations but it was always because there was like you know some drug infestation or something like that and they were going there to clean up you know or attempt to clean up what was going on and I just found that fascinating that um, that was the only time that I could really clearly remember, you know, seeing black heroes save other black people. Like, you know, it happens sporadically, but like during that pocket of time between like 90, I want to say like 92 to 94, it's just like, it is in abundance. So much so that the Punisher was actually black for three issues. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> with Luke Cage in Chicago. So, yeah. Very, int- very, uh, interesting comic. I will say that. Like, whenever I can't find something on Marvel Unlimited, like there's issues missing, I, I'm like on the hunt for those issues because I'm like, why is this not on here? And usually <laughs> it's because it's some, <laughs> like it's something that Marvel or DC would like like to forget. Um, Silver Sable in um, the Wild Pack was. The most recent series that I read that was like almost basically all missing from um, Marvel Unlimited and I found out why um it's not badly written it's just it's a you know it's not even a victim of its time it's just a reflection of the
0: time well it's funny like this is definitely not a podcast where one has to apologize for reading Silver Age comics I mean I'm always telling people like they need to read Kirby. Yes. And, um, you know, and and Jean Colin. And, like, there's so many artists from that period that just produced such beautiful work. I mean, uh, one of the questions that people sometimes ask me, though, you know, like, as a feminist, as a queer person, like, you know, how do I reconcile reading some of these older comics that do not represent people like me the way I would want them to be handled? Mm -hmm. And what's in the thing is, like, for a lot of the ones that I love, uh, it's obvious that the person is making an effort. And by the person I usually yes. mean the artist, not necessarily <laughs> Stan Lee so much, surprisingly. <laughs> Sorry, I have feelings on that. But, um, oops, oops, but same. Like, Yeah. But you know, but 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 I but, but that I don't but that just because I'm able to like read something that's sexist and have it not like bring me down and still be able to enjoy it doesn't mean that I presume that other people are going to have the same tolerance for it or like willingness to engage with it etc so you know I mean so I for me like being able to tell when someone's trying and when they're not is uh, is helpful uh, but I also definitely enjoy plenty of super sexist art when it comes to like for example uh, hair metal and like 80s music <laughs> and 70s glam rock for people who aren't <laughs> queer etc yeah and I, I, you know you deal with it anyway so I'm always I'm curious like when I talk to other people who are like not old straight white men who love comics from the silver age and from the bronze age like how do you how do you process like Because, like, uh, never mind, like, the question of whether something is corny or not, but, like, when you encounter stories where you're like, well, that was fucked up, like, Mm -hmm. are you able... Like, how do you still enjoy them, or, like, how does it make you feel about the work that you read?
1: Um, So, I can talk to that, like, right now. So, um, just last week, I had feelings of that from the Silver Sable and the Wild Pack. And this isn't even Silver Age. This is 90s. Yeah. Um, So, like, they basically uh, Sable, Black Battlestar and, um, and Battlestar is like on it, like she, there's a racist <laughs> hero on the team I think he
0: goes by The Crippler, which also, oh, wow. the Oh god, there's so many fucked up <laughs> sexual like, it was like somebody doesn't understand what SM is, but I um, interesting effort yeah. there
1: Yeah, and so that's a thing and so they go to um I think they go to like they go they're in LA I think they're in um Watts if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So they're there because there's a gang war going on and somehow somebody's boss is involved and, like, the black characters that are on Sable's team are, like, talking to the the other black characters and it's, it's all respectability politics. Um, mm. And it's just so cringe. And a lot of, like, some stuff I'm just like, oh, my God. But the reason why I'm still able to reconcile with that because... You know the way that I view comics is just like as pieces of history, and there are stuff that I read in history books that piss me off all the time, but they just not change that they exist. Um, so, and that's kind of the way that I work through my feelings about a comic that I'm reading. It's from the Silver Age, like they had Mantis and with some very terrible portrayals of an Asian character, and that. Oh yeah. Uh, so, but by reading I'm just like, it's not definitely not excusing it but I'm like yeah this, this was written this way because of um, what was going on then one maybe someone just being very terrible but also like I'm, I don't know like I'm just thinking of you know impressions like you know writers we tell on ourselves all the time even when we're not trying to and it was just telling on you know maybe the, the common minds of uh, folks around that time Um, So that character would be written that way by a white guy, probably. So I I just kind of I don't like I just think of it as this is a thing that exists because this is unfortunately how folks were thinking or still think Um, it does not make it. Okay, but the fact that this does exist just further proves everyone's arguments and talking points about, you know, how deep something like systematic racism is or just racism in itself because it's, it shines through um, in a lot of media that we consume. So it's really hard to continually gaslight someone to say that it's not about race when you see it reflected in the most innocent things. So, um, I think that's just kind of how I work through it. And I mean, also just like being a black queer woman in fandom, when am I not offended? (laughs) So it's, um, I don't know, like, it's, I just try to lean into this, the stuff where, like you said, like, you can tell that there's an attempt being made. and something about that like something about knowing that someone like knew in their heart that ooh, I can't do this thing but I'm not really sure how else to write this let me go about this to the best way that I can I think about Jack Kirby um, in the black romance comic um, that he was working on and I read a couple of those and they were beautifully written because he treated those characters like people
0: yeah yeah (sighs) I mean, I also like. I have much less tolerance for it in art that's coming out right now. Oh, when absolutely! I'm so much clearer. I basically have no tolerance for that bullshit in art coming out right now because there's no excuse for not knowing or right. understanding or trying to engage with people or having a sensitivity reader, etc. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, I also think, and I, I also feel like for me. There's certain times where I have a higher threshold for engaging with art that might be fucked up on some of those levels. And other times where I'm like, I I, I can't deal with this right now, but maybe it was the last time I read it, you know, I was in a better headspace for it. And this time I'm reading it and I'm like, I need to read something that's less toxic right now, even if I enjoy it for a number of other reasons, for example.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's been stuff where I just had no tolerance at all. Um, and that was the boys. I decided hmm. to go I don't know why but after watching the first season on Amazon I I knew that the comic was bad I just didn't know how or right, troubling right. I should say um, and then I went and I started reading and I read it all the way through and I was like horrified because one it you know it is this isn't from like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s the 90s like you know the 2000s and it was... I couldn't even treat it as satire. It was just so egregious on so many levels that I just couldn't, for the life of me, understand how... Like, I knew how, but I just also still couldn't understand how <laughs> Um, so many of these comics. And so much so that someone pitched this to... Or, you know, someone at Amazon was interested enough and thought, like, okay, let, let's do this, but figure out a way to, like, make it presentable for TV and, like, what a feat.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. You're right, because it's like somebody had to have read the original material and made a decision that despite the ways it was fucked up, there it was worth reinterpreting yeah. into a show that people might like. And to me, that feels different than doing that with Watchmen, right? Yeah, like, two night and day, <laughs>
1: because yeah. like for and actually Watchmen, I at first like wanted no parts of it when I heard that that was being made into a series, and then they wrote in yeah. with Regina King, and I thought like, oh my god, like what that that doesn't sound safe, like what <laughs> like what is going to happen? <laughs> um, but they transform that. I mean. Watchmen is definitely not the boys or anything like that. I just wasn't sure how that was I wasn't sure that it was how it was going to work for different reasons but um, wow. I just I would have never saw that coming.
0: Yeah, like the ways in which the original Watchmen series is sexist or not like Mm -hmm. beating you over the head bad. It's sort of like more like when you think about it hmm um, or like rather than so yeah it wasn't starting from the same level of um But it also, like, here's this huge, like, quote unquote, like, most important graphic novel of the 20th century, and it had about America. It has nothing about blackness in it at all. Right,
1: right. "Ah." (laughs)
0: Um, So, but yeah, I mean, I, so, but I think think that's such a good point, though, about make that decision to make the boys. Um, Speaking of the the question of like switching um, from, what a comic might offer to what is being shown in a different medium uh you know like you obviously are a big fan of monica rambo as are a great number of people uh and like you know i had structured these questions actually to run in the to run in the opposite direction but i'm going to do it this way (laughs) because this is actually a better flow from tv adaptations how did you feel about the way she was used or misused in wandavision and feel free to reference your own article of course which is a must read (gasps) for folks so I'm
1: like rubbing my temples because um, what a journey for me so when um, Monica Rambeau was first mentioned to be joining WandaVision I had reservations because I had had to back up a little bit I was already peeved that Monica Rambeau had been introduced as a child in Captain Marvel there's a reason for that um it's probably and unfortunately for me because i am just know so much about the comic history and how those two characters ended up getting intertwined in a way that mm. sucks for monica um because just as a black woman like her the fact that she you know it was this character that at one point. Was very involved with the Avengers. And I mean not just showing up on the front of the comic. Or being on a few pages. Like very integral to the stories. That were being told with them. Um, and then she just has this regression. That it was very aggressive. Between like the 90s. And a lot of the early 2000s. Um, so. To have her introduced. And then also she suffers like from name changes, constant ones. So like yeah. constantly having her um, her agency taken in a way or punished um, in a way, which was frustrating. Like when she gives when she takes the name Photon, it's after she had been um, you know mind controlled and like sexually assaulted, and then doesn't even get to um have any kind of retribution against her assaulter because um in that moment she um has to be this character that will just passively, you know, give out, extend um forgiveness, which a whole nother podcast. But um that was frustrating. So to have her then stuck into this Captain Marvel movie, I'm like, wow, so the way that this character is going to be introduced to the broader public um is as a subordinate to this other character who now dons her the name that she originally came into comics with and it sucked because this is the first black woman with superhero i mean with superpower in the mcu so like that's huge like no shade or anything to the women of Wakanda because they themselves are just powerful characters. But, you know, this is the first time we're getting a black woman with powers. So it's important. Mm-hmm. And to, um, you know, have her tucked and also her mother tucked into Captain Marvel in the way that her mom was used for Carol's growth and story. Um, kind of peeved me too because I'm like you all didn't even bother like you've already made her a single mother which is absolutely nothing wrong with that but again Monica was a character in the comics who had like a healthy relationship with their parents and that is pretty rare that is very rare um for all characters regardless of race. <laughs> so, um that kind of sucked, but I was like, it's fine. I'm okay with um, you know, her being raised by a single mother and I was like, well, well maybe they'll develop a relationship between Maria and Carol, but they really yeah. don't. Like they pull it. So so not only do you change this character's, you know, whole origin or whatever, but then you pull your punches and you don't even go for the whole enchilada and just, you know, do a thing that would at least balance this out. So Monica gets introduced to WandaVision and I'm like, okay, really not sure how this is going to work, but maybe. Um, so when Monica comes on the screen as Geraldine, I'm like, okay, I'm cool with this because um, you know the a- Toyana Paris is just like such a um, amazing actress. and you know she lit up the screen so it was great um and then episodes four five six seven you know Monica Rambo show I mean of course it's Wanda's show but they really did a great job of propping the character up and giving her center stage for a side character even bothering to give her her own villain which was Hayward so Mm -hmm. uh that and then um you know I was not happy about Maria being killed off but it's like okay well if they happen to do something with you know this this grief for her and you know give us some depth to her character or something like that then maybe that's something that I can live with and for a little while it seemed that way um but they had tied Monica uh you know her 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 pain or grief and kind of paralleled it with uh Wanda in a way that you know these are two characters who have suffered tremendous loss but they're on these two separate paths how would those paths converge and I was like okay I can kind of get with this and then um, again like Monica is like doing things she's involved in the same way that she was um as a member of the Avengers Um then you have this really beautiful scene of her working her way through the hex reminding me of Fast Color and I really love that movie um, and it's just it's just this black woman, um, you know, fighting her way through, um, you know, her pain and her grief and pulling herself together and coming out whole, um, and also with powers. Um, how beautiful is that? Nothing, it wasn't like a tragic accident or, you know, um, someone was shot and that's why she decided to become a hero or whatever. Like, you know, it was just her working, um through her her own thing to become a hero. And then the finale happened and all that (laughs) unraveled (laughs) because, um, you know, in episode seven, she gives this very passionate speech to uh, Wanda about, you know, she wouldn't change anything um, if she could and that it's okay because it's hers, like it is her. And i was like oh okay so this maybe is how this would be a through line later for her to like finally uh, i don't know like help wanda or you know whatever but no um the finale happened and monica was reduced to unlike a lot of unfortunately jimmy and darcy but it just sucked for monica because they really made the effort to um you know kind of prop her up in those Previous episodes And had her so involved in um, You know what happened With Wanda so to have her stuck in a room With Ralph Boner uh, <laughs> For a little bit mm-hmm. And then To run out And you know Step in the line of fire from uh, Hayward so you know that scene was irritating for several reasons one just because of the empty imagery of just this black character being impervious to bullets um when you know black people are just being slain (laughs) left and right um by folks that should be protecting them and it was just kind of more of the same like we got this Luke cage at least they talked about it for a little bit you know get this in black lightning with thunder and it's just like okay but who is this for um because you just showed us that these children can't handle their own they just
0: Mm -hmm.
1: unarmed all of the military and then you have a bullet whiz past monica and billy stops it so the whole entire series wanda has been taking microaggressions and dealing with noir from hayward so and then you know just not kind of passively taking it and then uh, you know, you think maybe she'll finally have a moment where she can tell him off or put him in his place or take back her rightful place in this place that her mother has built um, from the ground up, but no, she literally takes more b s from him physically and passively with those bullets passing through her, and he gets to go away in cuffs. It was frustrating, and then to have her be you know the one to absolve Wanda's conscience. Um, at the end to tell her like, hey, I would have done the same thing if given the same powers when you just told her in episode seven that you wouldn't have changed anything. Um, was frustrating because then that told me that the the writers maybe weren't really sure what to do with this character by the time we got to the finale and they needed to change things because of the because of uh COVID. And like I understand that but it just sucks because there was as easy as it was for them to have the, you know, the the, the, the bullet thing, they could have had Monica like, you know, finally haste, face Hayward, um, and you know, tell them off or something. Like she'd been dealing with that the whole entire season, and that's that's all we get is, or that's all she gets is him taken away in cuffs, and for her to kind of tell Wanda like, hey, it's it's okay, they'll forgive you. Now go be free.
0: Wow, yeah, thank you. It was so needed to be said, and I don't like people saying, like, well, look, you had so many things we can say about Monica's character, so the show was great for black women. I'm like, no. <laughs> this is giving people a lot of reasons why they needed to have more black women making decisions in the script to yes. because there were so many moments. Like, when, you know, when I had um, Nikki J on the podcast for my round roundtable last time, and she pointed out, like, It seemed like the show didn't realize that having Wanda push Monica back and say, You don't belong here, like, is particularly dangerous when you're talking to a black woman. And the show didn't seem to realize that. Like, you know, at first she's like, Oh, they're going to do something interesting. And then it's like, Nope, they didn't do something interesting with it because they are too white to be aware of this problem. Yeah. Um, And that was was so
1: frustrating. And it it was just so frustrating because it was that. And then you kept, and I felt like, had the series been bingeable, um, mm. the so because I feel very differently about Monica being in Wandavision now than I did week by week week by week I was living for it because it was like even the small transgressions I was willing to forgive because I was like okay this will there will be something to at least make this payoff or whatever and it just never came and it fell flat and I know like had I been able to like if we would have been able to binge it I feel like a lot of us would feel very differently about WandaVision not saying that it wouldn't be as good as it was because I still think that it was good Um, great even in some moments um, especially for Wanda but um, if I would have been able to binge it then I would have called you know BS from Jump like as soon as I Mm. finished it and got to that finale I was like oh this was absolutely (laughs) terrible and you know the scene uh, episode 7 would have not meant anything Uh, episode 4 when she wakes up um, and the whole blip sequence would have men been meaningless so partly I'm happy that you know it was a week-to-week thing because at least those moments that were really really great for Monica they still they aren't soured as much from the finale they're still soured but not as much if I would have been able to binge it because it just would have turned the whole thing bad
0: well you know, thank you for reminding everybody the ways in which Monica Rambeau and ergo also the viewers uh, deserved better on that point. And, um, you know, Monica is the character that you focused on in your Marvel's Voices legacy story. Uh, like, why, why do you feel like she's such a compelling character? And it's interesting because she's like, you know, she's not someone who was originally created by black women, but like yeah. is someone that was just really embraced, though.
1: Um, so, we, I've talked about this with a lot of friends um, that are black and re-comics and how, for a lot of us, even if the character is not created by a black person, um, you know, we still find ways to relate to them. And for Monica, because um, there's a lot of self-projection that goes into this, that's why a lot of folks go up for characters that they probably normally wouldn't, but because the character is. Not necessarily a blank canvas, but has enough relatable features because, even though created by a white character, because of the way that that person might view their interactions with black folks, we know what that is in real life, and we can see that spot it, and there's relation to be found there. So with Monica, um, her origin story specifically, like the fact that she's passed up on this promotion that she obviously deserves, but her boss is you know like the sexist jackass who. Um, you know doesn't see her worth that's relatable um you know, uh, what is it? Uh, my grandmother, or my mother always said, you know, you work uh, twice as hard to get half as much. Olivia Pope's father has said that in Scandal, and it's something that a lot of black folks have heard a lot. And it reminded me of that. Even though he was black, it's fine. It, it still, <laughs> it was still relatable because even still, you know, all skin folk and kin folk. So that was still very true. So To see that and for her to still become a captain of sorts, um, even better than before, because now she has powers and for her to, um, you know, choose to be a hero because that's what she desired. Like I just love that. Um, It was so different from an Amanda Waller who ends up being pushed into politics because, you know, nearly all her family is slain. uh, it's different from you know Aurora Monroe who become, you know ends up becoming Storm because she loses her parents in a tragic accident and you know is pickpocketing on the street when Xavier comes and extends her an invitation you know to his mansion to become a superhero you know her life in exchange for ribbon board. Um, it's, different a wow. who, yeah. <laughs> it's different from a Misty Knight who yeah it's different from um, a Misty Knight who ends up. You know becoming who she is because she um you know is on the clock and there's a terrorist bomb, and she throws it, but unfortunately, um her arm is blown off from it. it's different from that um there was just something very regular and could be anyone's experience on their day job that I just found very relatable to monica um and then after that, as she joins the Avengers and the way that, you know, she just gets her powers, but you couldn't tell because she already knows how to, you know, to do different things and do them well. Um, something I could also relate to because for um, the electron microscopy job I had, um, I didn't know anything about it, but I had to learn about it as quickly as I could um, because it was what was demanded of me. So. Um, just, you know, always being on your P's and Q's so you don't give anybody an excuse to question while you're there. Um, it's just something that I've has been has been a, like a defense mechanism for me as I've been in predominantly white spaces. So, like, I got it. I You know, I get it. Even still, you know what you're doing. You're well at it. You still get questions. So, and she dealt with that um with with Thor questioning whether or not she really was fit to be a leader of the Avengers even though Captain America was the one who said hey Monica do you want to do this so um for me she was just like just one of those characters that I could really see those human elements uh shine through and not like they didn't exist in the other women but for Monica I didn't have to shift through a lot of stuff to get to it it was just like right there on the
0: page so she's the character who you uh told your marvel's voices story about what's it like working on one of those voices anthologies
1: it was fun um i freaked myself out for two hours for no reason um because i was Mm -hmm. like oh crap like what's okay what like what story will i tell and then i thought about it and i'm just like okay you have two pages you've already been you know training yourself up for this because both parenthood activate and uh, but what if throw in several uh, stories and living heroes is like one or two pages so like you can do it like you can figure this out and i was like just tell a relatable story that's something that you know you lean into a lot and is true to you and so just do it so i thought about the time that my grandmother had me go into the store i think it was like i don't know like 19 or 20 some uh, condensed milk, pets, pets milk. <laughs> and I, due to um, ego and pride, walked around the store for like 40 something minutes be trying to find it until I finally broke down and asked someone like hey where is this located <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought about the time like how relatable it is to like shop with someone and for them to like leave you as you get closer to the checkout al especially yes. yeah <laughs> like especially being younger and like you know your mom or a loved one does that and you're just kind of like okay like where are you because I don't have any money and we gotta pay for this and we're almost here so I just thought it would be fun to have that to call back to the relationship that Monica has with her parents to call back to you know the time that she's been with the Avengers and the you know her interactions and friendship with Thor and uh She-Hulk I just thought that would be a really fun time to just kind of call back to that and um get as many jokes as I could in as well as a nice tender moment at the end.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very funny and good and tight little story there full of panels that are very, very memeable. Like, you you know, (laughs) your background in doing web comics together definitely shows through like, yep, gonna take a picture of that. (laughs) But I'm I'm curious with like the voice structure, do they say to you like, hey, you can write a story about any character you want, and it can be about anything you want? Yes, exactly. Yeah, they
1: did. Um, wow. So, yeah. So for this for this particular one, it was just like, hey, you're free to write about who you want to write about. So I didn't even have to choose Monica. I just wanted Monica. Um, and like had Monica been taken, which I was like, oh, thank God she wasn't. I probably would have ended up doing a story with Beast and Wonder Man. I just love them as, oh, as friends yeah like I love them fun. as yeah like as wingmen to each other like I think I would have had them like at the club or something or like at someone's concert trying to like I don't know pick up folks or just whatever like I would have done something fun in that regard like them trying to get to the club before 11 because mutants are free before 11 but Wonder Man ends up having to pay because it's like oh
0: wait you're not a mutant just something goofy like that <laughs> mm-hmm but that's so interesting though cuz like it so often when people are you know coming in to do their first stories for Marvel or DC it's like we want you to like this is the character you can do and this is like the 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 sort of genre we're looking to fill like what's your pitch for it and also you have like you know you have a number of issues that you can do this is sort of the flip it's like you can do anything you want but you have two pages yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like pick your poison
1: because either one can feel like daunting um so just switching gears to um now the story that I'm writing for DC Comics uh for the Wonder Woman Black and Gold anthology it's kind of more the same it was like hey so you can't pick just any character but you can't pick from these characters and it's just like mainly like Diana Nubia um uh Artemis you know whoever whatever Amazons even her mom it didn't matter just like within the realm with the mascara um and for that one the moment that I heard that I was like okay so can I do Nubia and Diana in the same story so the moment I got the okay for that I was like I know exactly the story that I want to tell because um one it was always like a thing to me that (laughs) Nubia is like exist in DC but didn't really have much of a history like she pops up here and there but it's not enough to like get a feel for who nubia is outside of being either one this other wonder woman which grinds my gears or you know the black wonder woman um so I thought about like the first encounter and how they kind of leave things off in Wonder Woman 206 like you know there was possibility for them to either develop a friendship or to meet again maybe work together or something like that but it never really happens um and then like the other times that they've kind of crossed paths with one another it's been um you know a little more I don't like a little more static between them like they're there isn't much sisterly love all the time and the story that i wanted to tell was like no i I would actually love if these two you know found some common ground or like figured out like if they work together that they're they're best because there can be they're both wonder Woman. Like, they can exist mm. at the same time, and it doesn't have to be a thing of one is better than the other or any of that. Like, they are um, their sisters. So, like, what does that look like? And how does it look if Hippolyta is treating both of them like the daughters that she loves so much? So, that's kind of what my story is based around, and I have a whole eight pages this time. So, I was like, ooh.
0: If oh, I wow. let the
1: story. Yeah, like, I can let the story breathe, and I was... Um, funny enough found inspiration from a captain america comic of all things captain america 354 to be exact um and that's the one where um there's a story of steve rogers and the reintroduction of um, john walker as jack daniels (laughs) whiskey uh as u.s agent and um Mm -hmm. I just really love the way that that story is told, not the story itself, but like I love the way that it's told, like the way that the pages are used in the panels, because you have this dual story happening um, with Steve Rogers and what he has going on as Cap again, and then as um, the government reintroduces like this new Jack Daniels US agent for them to use and like how every move mirrors one another but the story is different for each character and I loved it because I'm like huh maybe that's something I can use for um, you know the story between Diana and Nubia so I don't like that that's just fun to me to like get inspiration from you know like different stories from a character That has absolutely nothing to do With another character and like mix it in With other things from You know my own thoughts and experiences And other things that I've seen in pop culture Like I don't know Like um, It just feels it It's exciting um, And just really cool And I just think of Dwayne McDuffie And you know a quote of his that I just Love and it's like my fan fiction Is canon And Mm. I've, I've, like, I need to get that printed or put it on a pen or something like that so I can, like, look at it daily, because, yeah, like, you think about it, so many writers who have written characters that we love or can't stand, like, that's their fan fiction, and it's canon now.
0: That's really interesting. Oh, I love That's an amazing quote. And it's so many levels because, like, there's so many things that fans have decided about comics or stories that have eventually trickled back up to the people who are getting paid to put them in the page. But our theories are no less valid. I mean, and one of the things I love about your DC comic is that I've literally heard multiple fans say, I really want there to be a story where Wonder Woman and Nubia, like, reconcile with, like, them both being Wonder Woman. Where Diana and Nubia reconcile with them both being Wonder Woman simultaneously. And like, so you're writing the thing that everybody's been asking for.
1: Yeah, because like, it just feels like (laughs) it would make sense. Because if you think about it, like the Amazons, like the, the sisterhood of it all, like the Amazons and the Dora Milaje to me are... Um, You know, two sides of the same coin. Um, And that's actually one of the things that drew the editor um, at DC to me. She was reading my Dora Milaje piece, (laughs) the one that I wrote for the first thing that I ever wrote for Fangirls, and Mm -hmm. thought like, okay, yeah, like, wow, you would have a great grasp on the Amazons. I'm like, yeah, because I kind of view them the same. Like, um, I've always felt that the Amazons at the time had more depth to them than the Dora Milaje, but now, um, you know, Dormilaje since Black Panther and a little before then, um, in some comics they became like fully realized characters outside of you know their loyalty to T'Challa So yeah, um, to, it just never made sense. Like I get that Diana's competitive. I get that Nubia would be competitive, but like at the same time, like I feel like there would still be a strong enough um, sisterly bond if that was something that was just fed into because. Like you know, they can they can stand arm in arm together. I think that's that's a more powerful thing to have that than to you know have Nubia trying to best Wonder Woman. I mean Diana or Diana trying to best Nubia. Like why not? Mm-hmm. Like some actual solidarity. Because if the mascara is supposed to be like this better reflection than man's world, then you know why are some of the things that you know affect um, you know these spaces? and man's world reflected in the mascara, like that just feels a little dishonest or maybe it is honest and maybe that's something that we need to start talking about.
0: That's so true though like the whole thing is supposed to be an exercise in thinking about other ways of of being and too often people just haven't taken up that mantle in their writing of the character um that's one of the reasons why the whole like what if the Amazons are actually all violent and have been killing all the all the all the sons like Uh, yeah thing from the new 52 was so like have you not been paying attention like yeah i'm not saying that the the, the, that a women-run society is going to be perfect lord knows it isn't but that seems like an exact copy of the way things are fucked up in men's worlds. so maybe think a little bit more creatively
1: right like what's, what's wrong with that it's it's fiction so like what harm could there be to have something written that way versus something that is just so brutally violent Why can't the other thing, why can't a, I don't know, like a a more loving, better way exist? Why couldn't a superhero be amazing just based off of love and support? Why would a superhero have to be amazing because they've been through so many traumatic things and that's what shaped and molded them? Like, I'm a firm believer that, you know, someone can be just as wonderful from, you know, a nurturing environment than someone who was forced to, um, you know, be as as amazing as they are because of a harsh one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could get into a whole side conversation (laughs) around my feelings around the new gods and certain retellings of them recently based on that, but Uh, I will spare people. You've uh, probably witnessed some of this on social media. Um, I
1: have and felt that way too, because I actually have a, grand affinity for Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, Like, they are my favorite couple. I'm in love mm. with Jack Kirby's run, um, and the one that came right after it in the 70s, because I don't like for them, for two characters to come from something like Apocalypse and still find the goodness in one another one another and also feel that that they are deserving of that like they are deserving of each other's love and everything regardless of um how tough their life was it's something that i i love like there there can be a revolution in love and when they go back and Barta like splits um you know um <laughs> granny goodness lip or kills her every now and again. Like it's all right because they just go back home and they have dinner and it's fine.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, let my listeners know where can they follow your uh, comics and where can they pick up your work online. And when is your DC uh, comic going to be out too?
1: All right, so you can follow me online at Steph underscore I underscore Will. That is for Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also go to my website, whysteph.com, W-H-Y-S-T-E-P-H, where you can find um, some of my features on different from different websites, also links to all of my comics, um, including uh, Marble Voices Legacy. And as far as the DC comic is concerned, I'm not sure. It's either August or September. I'm not sure yet how they're releasing because there are six issues total. Um, I am the fourth issue and the first issue drops in June. So gotcha. um, I'm thinking if it's a monthly thing, I'm thinking September then possibly. But before the year is over, definitely. And before snow is on the ground. Well, with climate you. change, who knows?
0: Well, um, I, uh, I really encourage folks to go I got the digital copy of living heroes because I saw it and then I see it and I needed it right now and I didn't want to <laughs> make anybody have to go to the mailbox but like folks should, can order a print copy you can download or you can download the pdf right now these are both awesome options and, you know really we can go and support and like read your work on webtoons as well for what if though but what if though sorry no okay. such a fun play on the what if <laughs> yes, on the what which, if comics concept like yes, which
1: i love so much
0: Um, so yeah, I, I really cannot overemphasize how great your stuff is and how much I want fans to listen to it. And I feel like a lot, you know, fans talk about like, where are the stories where characters are interacting with each other, but like in real human ways, and there's also humor to it. And it also feels like it was written now, as opposed to like written in the distant past and like, you're providing it, you're providing it. So, so thank you for that. And, um. To my listeners, uh, there is indeed more Deep Space Dive podcast coming your way soon. I have not forgotten our DS9 podcast. There is more to come. Um, I also have some really exciting interviews coming up, including with a comics letterer, uh, which is definitely a topic that I think more people in comics need to understand or be aware of. And more interviews with amazing writers and artists as well. As for me, you can find me on Twitter a little bit too much at uh, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn that's Elana underscore Brooklyn and as we like to say keep it geeky